Hello, my name is Carl Lloyd Hauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. So Lord, we just thank you so much for how you give to us and we're thankful for the resources, Lord, that we have. We pray, God, that we would use every dollar, every penny for the glory of Jesus, for the work of your kingdom, and that we would be faithful stewards uh, with what you give us to our homes and faithful stewards with what you give us as a church in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so guys, I've been thinking about uh, getting a tattoo and so I'm thinking about, okay, now what kind of tattoo should I get in the... uh, I'm a, uh, I like to backpack, so I thought, well, maybe I should get a tattoo kind of like this one. But there's a, there's a problem with that one. I, there's something not quite right with that. I'm not so sure if I'd like to have that on my back for the rest of my life. Uh, so then I thought, well, that's no good. Then maybe I found one that would fit me really, really well. That would be perfect. <laughs> that fits nice. And then I thought, no, I'm probably not going to get that one. And so... Um, then this one actually, I think this is a really good idea. Like if you're a carpenter or something like that, just like, okay, that's how, you don't ever need your tape measure again. I, I like that one. And so I was thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe I should do that. And then I thought, well, what, is, what does the Bible say about this? And, you know, what, what does the Bible say about what kind of tattoo I should get? And so I found um, in Leviticus 19, verse 28, it talks about it. And it says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I'm the Lord. I was like, oh, apparently a lot of worship pastors didn't get the, the memo here. Like, what, uh, well, what, what's God saying? And so then I was like, well, you know, anytime you come a, uh, to a passage that you're not sure what to do with, uh, the important thing to do is you look at context. And so you look at the context first of the verses around it. And then you look at the context of the chapters around it, the whole book. And then finally, you look at the context of the whole Bible. And so it's important that we keep scripture in context. So I said, well, I better get a little context here. And so I went to verse 27 and it says, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. And I thought, don't, okay, well, I'm gonna live biblically. And so I lived biblically for a couple months and uh, I didn't cut the hair at the sides of my head. If you wanna bring that up, that's what it looked like there. (laughs) I I can't do that. That's not gonna work. And so then I I said, well, obviously I uh, I need a little more context here. And and so I went up to verse 26 and it says, um, do not practice divination or sorcery. Now that's serious stuff right there. I mean, I know that that God's serious about that passage, right? And so we can't just throw these things out. I mean, we got to pay attention to what he's talking about here. And then look at verse 31, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. And I know that, I mean, you look at the context of scripture that when we consult mediums, when we get into sorcery, you know, we're inviting things into our lives and our hearts that we don't want. These are serious commands that God gives us. So what's the deal? Well, if you look at the context of this passage, you see that all of this is connected. And what God is saying is you are about to go into the land of Canaan. And you have people here who worship demons. You have people who consult with the dead. And what they do is they cut their hair in a certain way as part of that worship practice. And they put marks on their bodies as part of their worship. And really to to encourage, ask Satan to kind of come be part of their lives. Not knowing it's Satan, but these idols. And so what God is telling us here in Leviticus is he's saying, don't engage in the practices of idolatry. 
Don't engage in sorcery. Don't worship the enemy or allow the enemy into your lives. And so it's actually all connected. And I think a tattoo is absolutely fine as long as it's not for our glory, but for his. So uh, Eric, are you around here still? Oh, you're right there. So I asked Eric actually to show how a tattoo can give God glory because he's got one that does. Yes, yeah. So um, I have a couple, but one that was really significant for me was the one on my shoulder here, shoulder, arm. So this one is um, just, I actually got this when uh, Jesus first radically changed my life. And so this is a, uh, a cross, but it, these, these are the stakes and the thorn of crowns and a rope kind of holding it all together. And so, um, although it was significant for me personally, um, it's cool because you can kind of see it poking out of my shirt here. And it gives me an opportunity for people to go, hey, what is that? Well, let me tell you, because <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a great story. And I think the, uh, this, the, the story of Jesus and how he can radically change lives is, is um, you, can't, you can't put a price on that. So, and I plan to get more. So. All right. Yeah. So that's okay. <laughs> and, you know, I think, it's a, I think it's beautiful. And I think that, man, if you're going to be able to tell people about Jesus through your tattoos, go for it. I, I'm not getting one because, like, if I'm at the age right now, if you put, like, the Mother Mary here, it's not long until she starts looking like Mother Teresa. And so I, I'm just like, nah, that's uh, it just not, you know, I kind of miss the whole thing. But, but the heart of the passage, the context of the passage is keep yourself separate from the practices of worshiping what the world worships, right? But it brings us to a bigger question. And we're in this Honest Doubt series. And, and this big question is, what is up with the Old Testament? I mean, what, what do we do with these things that are in there like, what? And like, it seems like, I mean, haven't you ever heard anybody say, it seems like there's two different gods? There's like the Old Testament God, and then there's the New Testament God. And the Old Testament God is like full of rules and wrath and conquest and judgment. And then then the Old Testament, you have all this grace and love and forgiveness and turn the other cheek stuff, right? And it seems like two different gods, but scripture actually makes it really clear that that is not the case at all. In fact, Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, all right? So he never changes. It's the same God in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. And the New Testament didn't change the picture of God. What the New Testament did is it completed the picture. It's all true. And we see these things coming through. Jesus talked about this. So if you have your Bible, let's go over to Matthew 5. We're actually going to spend some time in Matthew 5. A few passages we're going to look at here. And let's look at verse 17. So Jesus talks about this very thing. And he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You see that Jesus has a high, high value for the Old Testament because he authored it and inspired it. And he says, that, that all of it, you see it again throughout his life. He says that the prophecies must be fulfilled. The word of God must be fulfilled. And so the incredible value. And he says anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands in the Old Testament or his commands too and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. Now how can our righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees? There's really only one way. And that's through Jesus. But unless we come to Jesus and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we see that Jesus has an incredible value for the Old Testament. He doesn't say I'm throwing it away, but he says I'm fulfilling it. And the Greek word is pleiro. And what it means is to complete. It's like if you take a cup and you fill it to the top. And that's what Jesus does when he comes. So we've got this uh, little photo. I think this is kind of a picture of how it works. So, so we've got, if you consider like one half the Old Testament and one half the New Testament, it is the same picture, it's the same event, it's the same story, but you see different aspects, different depths, different truths that are brought out in both sides. But you have to understand that the truth of the gospel has been there since the very beginning. In fact, it's one of the very first things that we see in Scripture. We see it in Genesis 3.15. Grace and gospel comes right after sin. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, big fancy word, and it just means the first gospel. And Jesus is talking to Satan, and he's talking to Adam and Eve. And he says, and your offspring will crush Satan's head, and Satan will strike your offspring's heel. That's the complete gospel. Now, you can be sure, though, that Adam didn't say, okay, Eve, so what he's talking about here is that years and years from now, we're gonna have a people and, the, and they're gonna be called the Israelites, even though they were started by a guy named Jacob. And, and then they're gonna go and, and then there's this whole thing with David. It's another story I can't get into it right now. And, and then um, there's gonna be those Romans and they're gonna have this thing called crucifixion and they're gonna put the Messiah, which I'll tell you a little bit about more later. And he's gonna be, no, Adam was just like, okay, thanks God. Can, can we have our clothes now? You know, but it was there. It was full, it was true, but it, he didn't have a complete understanding. It's the same thing with the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Messiah is there. And then when he comes, we have a complete understanding. Fully true. And the New Testament helps us understand the mysteries, as Scripture tells us, that have always been there throughout the Old Testament. And see, if you think God is different in the New Testament and the Old Testament, then you haven't read all of the New Testament or the Old Testament. Let me show you a passage here. Bring, bring this on up. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That sounds like judgment. And guess where you find that? Revelation in the New Testament. And here's another one. It says, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And where do you find that? Nehemiah 9.17 in the Old Testament. And so we have a, a picture of God. We see his character. We see his prophecy. We see his heart throughout both Testaments. And he doesn't change. And we see judgment. And we see a charge for complete obedience throughout the New Testament as well. It's the same God. It's the same story. And we just have a more complete understanding as we go along. So don't get the idea that God loves you because Christ died for you. Christ died for you because God loves you. Do you understand that? Who did the sending? Who did the loving? For God so loved that he sent. That was his plan from the beginning. So it's all relevant and it's all true and it's not replaced but it's fulfilled and it's completed. So why do I cut my hair? And why don't I make Eric wear sleeves when he does worship here? Well, let me explain a few things about the law. 
Okay, you just need to understand that there's, there's three types of law in Scripture. So just a little aside, this is a little FYI. There's ceremonial law, there's civil law, there's moral law. So ceremonial law is what we do in the temple. It's what the Jews would do for the sacrificing of the lambs and, you know, the ceremony surrounding worship before Jesus comes. And then we have the civil law, and that's like the specific commands on how you live as a nomadic tribe out in the desert uh, underneath the, the commands of the Lord. And then we have the moral law, things like the Ten Commandments. You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes all three of these, and back to Matthew 5, he does something absolutely amazing with them. So look at verse 21. It's incredible. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Okay, that's one of the Ten Commandments. It's part of the moral law. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who is to say to his brother, rock, or you fool, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And then go down to verse 27, it says, and you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what does Jesus do with the ceremonial, civil, and the moral law? He brings it to the heart. See, what we had in the Old Testament was the first half of the picture. What you do is important. And Jesus says, yes, what you do is important. Do not kill. But it's actually bigger than that. Because how you do it and what's in your heart when you do it is just as important. So not, not just do not kill, but also do not hate. We have the complete picture now. Now we understand goodness and righteousness. And so he takes the ceremonial law and he is the perfect sacrifice. And so lambs are no longer necessary because Hebrews ten eleven shows us that, that, that it actually it didn't, it didn't do it. We needed Jesus. It says day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, when Jesus had offered for, for, offered for all, all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So the ceremonial law, we don't kill lambs anymore. Jesus did it. He took care of it. It is fulfilled. And it was all just pointing to Jesus. And every lamb that was sacrificed was just a reminder, a point, a metaphor saying, and the perfect lamb will come and his sacrifice will be enough. And so then the civil law, it moves to our heart. And there's laws like, well, if your, your neighbor's bull kills, or your bull kills your neighbor's bull, you gotta take care of it. Has anybody had that problem? Right, no, but we look at the, the civil law and we say, okay, now what's the principle? What's the heart underneath this law? Which is basically, if like your stuff causes a problem, you're responsible for it. I remember one time I, I was a kid, I was biking down the road and my dad was out mowing the lawn and there was a car right there and I don't know why, but I got really close to the car. I kept getting closer and I was just like, and just scraped a big long side in the car. And my, and my dad said, did you just scrape that car? I said, no. <laughs> and guess what? I had to take care of it. And then since I was my kid, uh, his kid, my dad had to take care of it, right? Same principle. You do the damage, your bike, you're responsible for the thing. And it comes down, Jesus brings it to the heart, the principle. 
And he doesn't get rid of the law, he makes the law complete. And so it's not just the action, but it's the heart behind it. Can you commit adultery and not look lustfully at a woman? Well, guess what? Either of them, it's a mess, don't do it. Can you murder without hating? Either of those is a sin. And here's the other thing. Now things that look good on the outside can actually be evil. You can give in a sinful way. You can give out of pride. You can give because you want to control. You can give to make a show. And now your giving has actually been corrupted by your heart. It's pretty amazing. Jesus brings it all to the heart and the moral law is fulfilled, it's complete. The Ten Commandments are still intact, but now the, the ante is raised. You know, the Old Testament, it's like a penny. If you have a penny, um, get it out. And if you look on the back side, the tail side of the penny, you, know, you see the Lincoln Memorial, at least on the older ones, right? And this is actually a really good picture of the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the law and it's the structure, you know, it's the commands of God. But if you look in the middle, have you ever looked really, really closely at the middle of a penny? What do you see? In the middle, there's a little guy in there, right? If you look closely, and who's that little guy? Well, he's the same guy that's on the front. It's Lincoln, right? It's a perfect picture. See, the Old Testament has these rules, it has these regulations, but if you look in there, it's all pointing to that guy. And then when Jesus comes, we see him face to face. We're like, oh, who's, that, who's that guy there? Right? This Messiah, what, what, what's it about? And then he comes like, oh, it's the same guy. So from now on, when somebody tells you, well, well, the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God, this is what you do. You just say, hey, do you have a penny? And you show them. And you can tell them. It's the same God. Same story just more complete when we see the whole picture and you need the old testament and you need the new testament to understand who god is and to understand the whole picture of it i've got another coin here and this coin to me is uh it's precious it was given to me by a a law enforcement officer here and it's the seventh judicial district drug task force okay and he gave me that coin and, and he told me he said you only get one of these if you're on the drug task force and uh, i'm not by the way uh, but the reason that it's precious is because he is, and he gave me his, and he basically was saying, um, so you supported me and cared for me and helped me do this job. So in a way, you were kind of like my honorary member of this, dra- this task force. So it's precious to me. And on the backside, it's the different agencies and different uh, badges that were uh, part of this force. But see, it's a coin, and there's two sides of the same coin but it makes one coin, right? And it's actually the same thing with God's wrath and his love. Did you know that? Did you know know that his love and his wrath are actually connected? And they're just different sides of the same coin? Let me show you. I'm gonna show you one of my favorite verses here. So this is one of my favorite love verses. And we've talked about it before, but it's so good. It's Psalm 18. I'm gonna read it to you. And David, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before into his ears. 
And the earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook and they trembled because he was angry and smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Wow, that's new. And dark clouds were under his feet. And he mounted the cherubim and flew and he soared on the wings of the wind and he made darkness as covering his canopy around him and the dark rain clouds of the sky and out of the brightness of his presence cloud advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning and the Lord thundered from heaven and the voice, voice of the Most High resounded and he shot his arrows, scattered the enemies, great bolts of lightning and routed them and the valleys of the seas were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils and you see this power and you see this anger and you see this might and why does it come because David says help in my distress I called to the Lord don't you get it don't you see how they're connected see you come before God in your distress oh help me God and he says "Mm, my son my daughter They need help, and he's angry. You know, when I first first moved here, I took the kids to uh, Cyril Summit to sled. I've since learned you bring body armor if you're going to go to Cyril Summit to sled. I didn't know that then. And so they were little. I think my oldest, you know, who's 24 now, she's like fifth grade, and, and they're all just tiny girls, and we're all on this hill, and we're in the middle of the hill, which you don't start in the middle hill on Cyril Summit, by the way. And so we're starting, kind of getting them going. Come on, girls. Two teenagers just like flying down from the top, right? And I'm trying to move everybody out of the way. I don't do it in time. And boom, hits them. All three of them are just flying up in the air. And I was like, oh, oh, man. I was like, I was like don't you look? And I, I mean, I'm getting ready just to go after these kids, you know, because my daughters are in a mess all over. And I'm just like, oh. And I was like, I, mean, I just got a job as a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I was so angry. I was so angry that they would be care- so careless with my kids. They would just do something so foolish that would hurt my daughter. Don't you love that God has wrath on your behalf? Do you see how they're connected? Oh, you don't touch my son. You don't touch my daughter. Listen, on judgment day, heads are gonna roll for how the enemy lied to you for the tricks that the enemy tried to bring into your life. God's going to be like, "Mm, that's my son. That's my daughter. You don't lie to them. You see how wrath is actually the other side of his love? But there's more to it. There's another way that they're connected, and you've got to get this. You have to understand it. It's so important. And we find it in the book of Hosea, a powerful, powerful book. In Hosea 2.19 God is talking about Israel. God is talking about you. And God says, I will betroth you. This is you. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, in justice, in love, in compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Now, if you haven't read the book of Hosea, I want to just challenge you to read it this week. It's this beautiful picture of the type of relationship that God wants with you. And God tells the prophet Hosea, he says, I want you to go marry an unfaithful woman because that's what Israel is to me. They're not faithful, but I love them 
And I made a covenant with them. You know, when I, when I said I do to Gina 28 years ago, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was getting into. You know, I didn't know all that, that it meant. God's made a covenant with us. And so we see it again. It's not just in the book of Hosea. We see it in Ezekiel. If you want to bring that Ezekiel passage up, God talks about the same thing. I'm filled with fury against you. Do you see his anger, declares the sovereign Lord? I'm mad when you do all these things, acting like a brazen prostitute. When you built your mounds at every street corner and made your lofty shrines in every public square, you were unlike a prostitute because you scorned payment. You adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. And I read this passage and it breaks my heart for what I've done because I realize what God wants. And we think about this marriage, marriage to God, it seems weird. The thing is, is it's actually not intense enough. It's the closest metaphor that he could find, that he could give us. It's the closest picture that we have, but it doesn't go far enough when we talk about the intimacy and the connection that God is looking for us. And how would you respond if your spouse were to say to you, I'll get to you, but first I'm gonna go to him, and I'm gonna go to him, and I'll go to him, and then then I'll swing back around to you. And what do we do to our Father? What do we do to God? I'll get to you. But I got, there's this thing, I'm kind of working on this little thing right now, and I want to do this, and I love that, and this thing's calling to me, but I'll get to you. God is a jealous God. He doesn't share his room with anyone else. He doesn't share you with anyone else. He's a jealous God with intense love, and see, you don't get it because you don't understand the intensity of his love, so you don't understand his wrath. But don't you see how the two of them are connected? We don't understand his wrath because we don't understand how much he loves creation and what he had in mind for his creation. Listen, if you destroyed my wife, if you destroyed my children, if you interrupted our fidelity, you'd find, pa- you'd find Sarah Summit Carl, not Pastor Carl. Smoke coming out of my nostrils like his smoke comes out of his nostrils for you. It's my son. It's my daughter. See, his love is perfect, and guess what? His wrath is perfect. We don't get it because we think God is mad like we're mad. See, we're mad because someone planted a tree and it blocks our view of snuffles. You know, like we moved here for that. You took it away from us. And so at night we, we think about poisoning their tree, don't we? <laughs> don't do that. That's wrong. Just got to let their tree be there. Step around it and look, right? <laughs> Guys, this is not a tantrum. It's not a tantrum from a creator who doesn't get his way. I'm mad because you didn't obey me. Then I, <laughs> if that's what you think, you don't understand God at all. This is the heartbreak of a lover who has been scorned. Don't you get it? Don't you understand how much he loves you? This is a creator whose masterpiece, he created this, he looked at the earth and everything that was formed, he's like, oh, it's so good. It's so good, and I love it, and I rejoice in it, and we've trampled on it. Don't you get it? This is a protector 
whose children have been violated and abused. And so his wrath is stirred. But you have to understand that the measure of God's wrath is an indicator of the depth of his love. So every time you read about his wrath in scripture, ask, well, what is God protecting? What is he valuing? What is he defending? And usually the answer is you and your connection with him, your relationship with him, the purity of what he has for you. Or it's his creation, or it's his goodness, or it's his beauty, it's life as he meant it to be and intended it to be for us. And we go and play the harlot. Guys, our our sensibilities in this culture, they're just so warped. Because, Because we hurt and we take and we break and we say, don't judge. Don't you judge. And we chase our lovers and we cling to our rebellion and we hurt one another. And we destroy what God has made and we corrupt our own hearts and we thumb our noses at at his word and what he stands for. And then we say, well, God, why are you so uptight? Why are you so mad, God? Why are you so mean? You know what we should say? Why would you forgive me at all? Why do you wait so long? God, why, why would you give me so many chances? Why are you so kind in the midst of what I've done? And then the ultimate question, and why would you pay the price on the cross for my unfaithfulness? Wrath is real because of his love and his care and the oversight of his creation is so intense. You know, as Eric and Andrea come back up here, there's two responses for us. And the first is we just rejoice in the intensity of his love. I mean, isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful that we cry out on his, in our distress and smoke rises in his nostrils? We cry out and he's like, mm, my son, my daughter, let's throw some lightning right now. It's coming down because they are so precious to me. We just rejoice. But here's the second thing. Church, hear me. Be true. Be true to our love. Be faithful to our God. We've got to stop our adultery. What are we doing? No more, well, I'll get you after him, him, this, that. We've got to get rid of all other gods. We need to quit being so flippant with the heart of God. The intensity of our love. We're just like, eh. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I'll get to that. Church, we are called to holiness. We're called to righteousness. We are called to complete obedience to the word of God. We're called to take his commands tremendously seriously. Out of fear, maybe. Fear and trembling, but I think more out of reverence. I think mostly just out of love. Out of gratitude for the heart of God. Out of respect for this covenant that he has made with us. 
I'll be your God, you will be my people, our one and only, don't spurn the love of God. I will have no other gods before you. Don't reject his passionate pursuit of you. Be true. Respond to his faithfulness with faithfulness. Respond to his wrath with repentance. Respond to his love with love. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've given me so many chances. Oh, and Lord, when I've been untrue, when I put you to the side for the sake of other lovers, the things of this world, other gods, and especially myself, the God of self, Lord, I ask for forgiveness. I thank you for the passion of your love, the intensity of your love that was so great that you let your own son, in fact, sent your own son to die on a cross for us. I thank you that you find us that precious, Lord, that when we walk away from you, it does rouse anger. And that when we're hurt, it does arouse your wrath. And God, I thank you. There's so much grace, and I don't understand it, how you keep giving us new chances and second chances and third chances, and you keep taking us back. But Lord, I want to come back. I want to be true. I want to walk with you because you are so good to walk with me. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.